Welcome back to Always Evolving with me, Coach Mike Bear. Today we have our first chef, Tim Hollingsworth, joining us. He's not your everyday chef, but one who held the title of Chef de Cuisine in illustrious French Laundry, which is considered one of the top restaurants in the world. In 2018, he won Netflix's The Final Table, a global culinary competition series. His Instagram grew, his profile grew, and now he owns a few restaurants in LA called Odium and CJ Boyd's, a fried chicken stand that pays homage to his grandfather and his Southern roots. But like so many other restaurateurs, because of this pandemic, his restaurants are closed. Tim is ready to pivot and he is here with us today to talk about it. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me on the show. Super excited. And thank you. By the way, I, I uh, you cooked me a steak that I ate last night. That was How'd you like so, it? Oh my God, it was so good. Awesome. And literally, I wanted to tell Rachel, my booker, let's just have a chef on every single episode <laughs> and let's see if we can convince them somehow to send us their cuisine. But the steak was so good. That's awesome. That's one of my like uh, favorite recipes. I actually grew up eating that. So I mean, I'm, I don't even normally like tri-tip and I eat the entire thing. I made a video, awesome. I videotaped it. Uh, and I'm going to post that on my Instagram. I'll send you a copy too, but it was so right good. <laughs> so, so tell everyone, you, you didn't go to culinary school. No, I didn't go to culinary school. I mean, I grew up doing construction with my father and um, kind of got a job to work separately um, from my father. My father was, you know, I think had a huge impact on my life and my, and my worth ethic and everything. But I wanted to just do something a little different. I was finishing up high school, got a job as a dishwasher in, um, in a local restaurant that just happened to be the best restaurant in town and slowly worked my way up. Um, and then took a, took a trip to New York, you know, said this is the thing I wanted to do for a career and uh, went out to Hyde Park and, and uh, checked out the Culinary Institute and, and, Spent a week there and was like, well, you know what? I don't think this is for me. Um, and then ultimately came back and went to, uh, decided I was going to work for the best. So got applied at the French Laundry and got a job. So you grew up in Houston? I grew up in, I drew, grew up in Northern California. So I was born in Houston. And then from about second grade on, I grew up near Lake Tahoe, Placerville. Got it. And so you went up to New York and and when you say it wasn't for you, you probably were going all excited, like, this is what I'm going to do. Then you got there. What was different than what you maybe anticipated? I just knew how I was in school and, you know, how studious I was, how, how I was at work and how competitive I was and, um, and my worth ethic. And I just made a commitment saying, you know what, I think this is going to be kind of a waste of money, honestly. Um, and I think I'm going to, I think I'm just going to surround myself with people that are better than me and work for the best. And, and just being sort of young and naive and not really understanding what it took to, to do that job. I was, I was very good at the restaurant that I was working at, but I'm in a small town, you know? So, um, you know, moving to a place that's people travel from all over the world to work at, um, and have, you know, pretty good pedigrees. You know, I'm working next to guys that work for Daniel Ballou and, you know, Pierre Garnier and like, you know, all these, all these chefs from, and then, you know, the, the guys are, one guy's from Sweden, the other guy's from Korea, the other guy's from Japan. You know, it's like 
people just around me are, are from a lot of different places and a lot of different cultures and honestly had a lot more experience than I did. But I put my head down and, you know, I every single thing that I did, I, you know, I ran. So, you know, I, I would run to the walk and grab myself. Right. So, I, you know, I was I was slower at other stuff, but I made up for it in just the speed of moving around. When you applied, do they have you cook them a meal? Some people they do. So it depends on what position that you're applying for. Um, I was, you know, I was going to be in the lowest position pretty much um, from a from a cook's perspective. So I was a, a comi or a prep cook. Um, so you don't have to cook cook for them anything. But um, I spent a day sort of going in and, um, you know, I remember I spent about three hours in the garden in the morning, um, like planting and picking microgreens and then slowly moved into the kitchen, worked there and then, uh, spent, you know, spent the remainder of the day just kind of helping people out and floating around. And, you know, I'm sure the chef was watching me the whole time. And, you know, I was 21 years old and, uh, I think, you know, he, he saw, just a little bit of the humility and, and hardworking kind of guy that I was and, and ultimately um, offered me a job. So uh, to give context to French Laundry and why people would fly from all over the world and you went to work there, what was, why is that? And how much was food there? Yeah, I mean, I think the at that time, I think the tasty menu was I think right around $150, if I remember correctly. But, you know, people would fly, you know, all over the world to, to go eat there. I mean, I, I think it was maybe Ruth Reichel's article that came out. She was just very, 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 um, did very well in the press. And just, you know, this is the best restaurant. You have to eat at it. Most exciting restaurant to open. I think what, what about that restaurant was so special is just, um, you know, chef's, perspective on food it was it was really you know you're eating caviar you're eating uh foie gras you're eating you know you're eating the best steak you can buy the best fish you can buy all that kind of stuff but but ultimately you know like that that fish comes in a in an ice cream cone and it's you know salmon tartare and it's it's essentially you know the idea of the famous cornet is essentially like smoked salmon, a cracker and creme cheese, you know, that's, that's really what it is. But ultimately it's, you know, it's a salmon cornet, which is a twill batter, French, French twill batter. Then it's creme fraiche with red, it's into with red onions on top of it. And then it's chopped salmon that's seasoned and presented like a cone past you, a basket robins. Then those kind of playful notes, I think were what really resonated with people and made that fine dining experience really approachable and kind of, you know, I don't, I don't want to say comical, but, you know, just very relatable and, you know, just something that would make you smile. I mean, raw fish presented to you in an ice cream cone, you, you got to laugh at it a little bit and, you know, say this is pretty cool. Got it. And how long did you work there? I was there for, what was it, 12, 13 years. Wow. And so as you worked your way up, you eventually, what was kind of the, you were kind of head chef there by the time you left, right? Yeah. So I worked, you know, my, my tenure there was basically working. I worked there for about three years, three, four years when I opened up Per Se in New York, which is his sister restaurant. Um, also three Michelin star and then went back and reopened the French Laundry and was part of the small opening team that that reopened it because we closed it to open up Per Se and, you know, took the majority of the staff and whatnot. And then went back and, and worked there for a few more years, um, you know, underneath some very talented chefs. You know, a couple of years later, I, uh, I basically 
you know, was, was presented with the, the position of chef de cuisine and, um, hard, hard not to accept. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. Were the other guy, I mean, because you had no training in this, were the other chefs like going, is it kind of, were they, was there jealousy or people thinking like, or do you feel like you just proved yourself? So everyone knew you were going to be next in line. No, I mean, culinary school is culinary school. It's like, you know, you, I've hired, I've hired a lot of people and, you know, if you came out of culinary school, you're basically, you're, you're coming out of from ground zero. Do you have a foundation? Sure. But have you ever really worked the line? Have you ever worked in a restaurant? Have you ever followed direction from chefs? It's like, you know, so to not, then Thomas Keller never went to culinary school. You know yeah. what I mean? It's like, it's not that big of a deal not to have that formal training. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because so I, one of the businesses I own is a treatment center uh-huh. and um, I have uh, uh, a bunch of psychologists and psychiatrists and doctors who work for me, but I'm not a licensed professional or a doctor or a psychiatrist. So, I mean, I guess in a sense, when I look at it, it's like a lot of these people who get into the helping profession but they haven't had the credibility. They haven't had the street. They haven't done the work. They haven't, yeah. you know, worked at the program where you do room checks every hour from midnight to 8 a.m. and have someone <laughs> who's threatening to stab you, you know, like in. And I guess that's I can relate to that because I think in a similar sense, I didn't go the traditional route in terms of my career, you know, mm-hmm. Um so you now you own a few restaurants in Los Angeles and you've had to open and close and like, and I'm in Los Angeles too, so we should be together, but this coronavirus um, has kept us apart. But like, what is going on in the restaurant business in LA with, with all this, it just seems very unclear what restaurants can do and how's the impact been for you? I mean, it's been devastating, you know, it's like, we're basically, you know, go from, being, being busy every single night, um, being one of the most popular restaurants in Los Angeles, and then ultimately having to shut our doors. Um, and you know, everybody around us is shutting their doors as well. Um, that whole process has been, you know, really challenging because you're thinking that, you know, you're thinking about your business, you're thinking about maintaining and, you know, how you reopen, how you come back, how you pivot from all this, but you also have all the staff that work for you. We have 120 employees at Odium that, um, you know, that's just at Odium. And it's just, it's a lot of people and a lot of people that are relying on us. And then, you know, given, given the certain parameters, we're not going to be able to open and have everybody come back to work. I mean, that's, you know, it's just, it's not realistic. We, we, we don't, we're not going to have the same business. We're not going to, people are sitting six feet apart right now. You know, I believe it's only outdoor dining. So, you know, all of these things that are, that sort of crutch us, you know, I think are going to ultimately explain, you know, our, our play out in the way that we're going to figure out exactly how, how we have to do it. And I think when you think of all the different restaurants that are, that are out there, everybody's in a different situation. Everybody has partners or, or doesn't have partners, different kind of partners, you know, that are, that are either in it or are, 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 are less in it. People around them that, you know, can, can help support from, you know, maybe, you know, like my partners are, are very intelligent and, you know, they're able to, they're able to help me in the things that I'm, you know, not as good at, you know, they help balance me and, 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 um, and challenge me in those sort of ways. And I think, that's going to be crucial, but not, you know, not everybody has that person for them. And I think, you know, I think just looking at 
all the different restaurants, all the different scenarios, how much people are having to pay for rent. Are they going to be forgiven for that rent? You know, now there's loans out there, PPP loans. Um, you know, will that be forgiven? The the minimum wage or the the unemployment runs out at the end of the month, um, which is pretty frightening. We got to see what's going to go on with, you know, are they going to extend that? It's a lot of a, a lot of problems. Yeah, it's it's been interesting. I'm in West Hollywood and the amount uh, every day, it seems I see a new for lease sign. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. and then you look at businesses that are allowed to be open like I could it, and I could if I wanted to uh, go get my teeth cleaned. Mm-hmm. Uh, I probably could go to the dentist and get them whitened. Uh, I could uh, get my eyebrows done or a hair, like not haircuts are off right now, but I know a lot of some friends of mine, they go and get uh, Botox and fillers because yeah. uh, the medical spa is considered an essential business. Um, and it's just, you know, even there's a smoothie shop right by my house. It has not closed down this entire time for one day. Really? And they're, they're reasoning, yeah. And they literally are making smoothies and they have a, a fridge case with food and then they sell like protein powder and then like oils of oregano or something, right? Like <laughs> super, super basic, like organic digestive vitamins. And they literally uh, have stayed open this entire time. Uh, the, and and it just, it baffles me. So your your restaurant did not have an outdoor area? We do, but like... The, the amount of money that it takes to start up a restaurant and then stop and then start up again, you know, it adds up really fast, um, especially for the size of restaurant that we have. We have, you know, 230 seats. So it's a it's a big operation to be able to, to start and stop and and requires a lot of capital to, to do so. Mm-hmm. And I think that for us um, last week, the numbers are, you know, are creeping up and up and up. And, you know, for me, I'm like, well, there's no way I want to open right now and then be shut down. So, you know, we, we don't have a lot of chances at this. Otherwise, we have to go raise capital. So, you know, it's it's figuring out the correct move um, based on the liabilities that you have. You know, like, you know, are you able to get your rent forgiven? Are you um, able to get it reduced? What What are the other costs that are that are going to be reoccurring without you generating any revenue? I was going to say, well, what about like your fried, like CJ's? Like that's the same problem? Yeah. Well, that one, that one is more, that one's more of a licensing deal. So it's, we're looking, we're currently looking for a a location, Um, you know, and probably will hopefully end up with a good deal with all, with all the stuff that's happening. But, you know, I think that, for that specific model, it's 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 geared towards servicing, you know, LAFC and the Bank of California Stadium. So because of that and because of no sports and all that, you know, it's like there's, you know, there's no point in, in keeping that going. Um, it's not like a store, you know, it's not like a storefront. It's in it's in a food hall adjacent, you know, really touching the stadium. So, you know, for people to go around there and, and kind of pick up their food or whatever. It's, it's not, it's not ideal. Um, and plus it's a, it's a licensing deal. So they're, you know, it's, it's, it's more of somebody else operating it and, and, uh, myself really kind of managing it. 
Hey, all you true crime fans, this is Mike Ferguson. And this is Mike Morph. And we'd like to invite you to listen to our podcast, Criminology. Launched in 2017, we've covered a variety of strange cases from murders to missing persons. Some of the cases are ones you may not have heard of. Other cases we cover are some of the most historic in true crime. There are 200 episodes of Criminology available to binge on right now. And new episodes come out every Saturday night. Subscribe to Criminology today, wherever you listen to your podcast. What have you seen restaurants doing to get creative during this period of time? I mean, I think a lot of people are doing the to-go. You know, you see you see some of the best restaurants in L.A. doing to-go food for the first time. Um, they're, they're, you know, they're producing experiences, which is really great. Um, I, you know, I, I had the privilege of eating um, the French laundry meal done by Vespertine. And that was incredible. You know, it was, it was executed really, really well. And it was awesome to be able to see how they interpret, how Jordan interpreted it. And, um, you know, the memories that he had from being at the French Laundry and how that, how that was, how that was explained. And that thought process was explained, um, throughout the meal. So those little anecdotes kind of, you know, added to that experience. Yes. You had to reheat some stuff and do some, do some finishing touches, but ultimately you had, you know, you had a three Michelin star meal in the comfort of your own home. And I think that that was, it was a, it was a really, really cool experience to be able to, to, to see somebody kind of pivot and do something like that. You know, I think that other people are, are um, you know, doing straight up kind of to go menu. That's a lot harder to produce. Like, do you feel like you're kind of stuck in sand right now? No, I mean, I think it's, it's figuring out, it's figuring out the right move. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like you're, you know, it's like you're jujitsu fighting or whatever, you know, and it's like, you're, you're sort of in limbo a little bit and you're stalling and you're figuring out where the opening is going to be and where your move is going to be. And I think for us, you know, right now we're, we're sort of, you know, we're, we're going to heavily concentrate on to go because I think that, you know, that that's going to be a strong business for us for a while. Um, we'll actually probably run, multiple concepts out of Odium from a to-go standpoint. So, you know, I'll test the waters with the concept like CJ Boyd's and see how it does for to-go. And then that'll help me determine whether or not that's going to be a good business to, you know, to look for a space for and and invest, you know, the $500,000 it would take to open that restaurant. So I'm not, I'm the opposite of you in terms of cooking, right? Like I'm not a skilled uh, chef. What, what are for you like your top five, um, essentials because a lot of people also are cooking from home. So what are like your top five, uh, things I should get? Is it like, like literally, I don't know it, you know, like (laughs) I make popcorn and rice cakes with peanut butter. Right. And I have two kitchen, I have two kitchens in my, in my house, uh, a beautiful kitchen that I was going to use it so much because I was going to be so inspired to cook with this type of kitchen. But I How's have that it. No. <laughs> what are the essentials? What are uh, Tim's essentials? I th- I, you know, I think obviously you have to have a pantry of ingredients, right? So you have to have. Uh, we like to grow a lot of the stuff that we eat here, so you know we have an herb garden, which you know has pretty much every herb that you can think of that are that are sort of standards. It's going to be like thyme, oregano's, um, different chives, parsley's, um, dill 
all, all different sort of things that you can take and sort of brighten something up with, which is really nice. Um, you know, if I'm making a roast chicken and I want to add herbs to that, I go out, pick the thime. If I want to add chopped parsley at the end, I, I go out, I pick it, I chop it. So those those sort of herbs, I think, are standard. I No, I need like dummies. Got, you have a garden of herbs, okay? Literally, <laughs> like, I'm talking about like, you know, uh, what would I get from me? I'm not going to like, like I can, I have a lemon tree. Okay. Like yeah. I have a lemon tree, but like, if I want to pick up and spices, is there a certain spice where you're like, you can't really go wrong with this spice besides salt and pepper or like, even like, I gotta be honest, this is off to off topic, but the hardest thing for me when I go to a grocery store is like, I'll think that I'm going to do something. And then I literally am like, okay, let me get olive oil. And there's a hundred olive oils. And I literally have no idea, no idea. And then the balsamic, I'm like, oh, I'm going to make tomatoes and onions. I'm going to add some oil and vinegar. I get completely disheartened because I just don't understand. How do you know when you're buying something that it's great? I mean, you you don't know without trying it, number one, or without having tried it before, right? So, you know, you go to the store, you see 20 olive oils. You know, you're gonna you're gonna look in the range, and there's gonna be one that's thirty dollars, and the one that's six dollars. You know, you probably would assume the one that's thirty dollars is better, and the one that's six dollars is not as good. But that six dollar olive oil is gonna be something that if you're gonna cook, you're probably gonna cook with that one. And if you're gonna be making a salad dressing, you're gonna be using the thirty dollar. Uh. So it's kind of it's not like one's better than the other one. They just have different purposes. So if I'm frying an egg, you know, I don't want the egg personally me i don't want the egg to taste like olive oil so what am i going to use i'm either going to use like a light olive oil you know where it's it's kind of just going to be scented or i'm going to use a neutral oil like a grapeseed oil or something like that um but i think you know this might this might again be a little bit too much maybe but i would say <laughs> using things buying things that have that that give a depth and flavor so for instance if I took miso and I added that to whatever, you know, a soup base, a marinade, um, a vinaigrette, anything, anything like that, that miso is, is going to give, going to give a flavor depth that your vinaigrette didn't have before, or your soup didn't have before, uh, fermented soybean paste, seaweed, things like that, that are going to give this sort of umami flavor, you know, if I'm making if I'm making a soup or a, uh, a stock or something like that, and I throw seaweed in there. Um, yesterday, you know, I trimmed the tri-tip. I took all of that, you know, of the meat and the fat and everything off of that. I also trimmed some beef ribs, which I have on the smoker now. And you know, I, I put that in uh, I put that in a pot with water, put a little bit of uh, of seaweed in there, and you know, just let that simmer. Now I have a base that the noodles that are in my fridge are in my cabinet. I can, you know, make, turn that into a soup. So, you know, utilizing, putting the miso in there as a base, putting the seaweed in there as a base. Yeah. You're not going to taste, you know, I don't want to, I'm not, I'm not trying to make a miso soup, but a little bit goes a long way and gives you that depth and flavor where it's like, it goes from tasting like water and meat. to like having a little bit of, you know, a nuances that you're like, Oh, what is this? I don't trust reviews online, at least of restaurants. Like, yeah. like I find that like Yelp 
and you know they, they may give a one star and then I'll, all i care about for example is it does it taste amazing right mm-hmm. and i'll look at these reviews and it'll show like a rating but then i'll look at the one stars and it's like the waitress was very rude to me and i'm like you're literally gonna rate the blood sweat and tears <laughs> of someone creating a business it takes so much work so much art so much creativity, so much risk. And because one person in the restaurant wasn't friendly, you're going to completely devalue the art that someone has crafted there. It drives me crazy. Well, I love you for this, just so you know. <laughs> oh, you, you, like, do you, uh, what do you make of that? Like, I think it's crazy. So what we do in the restaurant is we sort of try to, Yelp used to be kind of this, this, this evil, right? Where, where people would, you know, go and look, you know, you're in a new city, you travel, you're in a new city, what restaurant's going to be good? You know, first thing that's going to pop up is Yelp. And if this thing has like 1500 reviews, you know, you're going to be like, okay, there's a lot of people that go here. There's like 45 people reviewing it. Maybe not a lot of people. Right. And you're going to see like sort of, you know, how these, how, how the reviews play out. You're going to read a couple of reviews. You can understand that. Yes. Yeah, somebody just didn't like somebody. Somebody had a bad experience that day. You know, somebody's, you know, six people are talking about the chicken and how good it is. Maybe I'm going to order the chicken, all of those sort of things. But I think for us as restaurants, you know, we, we have a love hate relationship with somebody like Yelp, you know, where if you don't have, if they don't have four and a half stars in LA, forget about it. You know, you need to, you have to keep that rating really, really high. And um, so the way that we combat it is we started, you know, using our own reservation systems to to leave people the opportunity because ultimately people just want to be heard. You know, you go to the restaurant, you had a bad experience from the, from the waiter, the waitress, you know, you 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 want to express that feeling. So if, if Yelp is the only outlet that you have, then you're going to use Yelp. But if, I don't know. I'm like, I send you an email that says, hey, you know, I hope you like your experience. Please tell us how it was. And you take the time to fill out that survey, you feel like you're being hurt. Yeah, I don't know. I'm like, if you had a bad experience with the waitress, call a friend. I mean, if you don't have a friend to call, that's your problem. Don't go to Yelp as an outlet to express your frustration because it's so misleading and you can buy reviews. So it's not even that accurate anyways. Like I could go have everyone in my companies go review a restaurant and suddenly, like the same thing applies in the book world. There's this uh, site that people go to called Goodreads. Uh-huh. And um, Goodreads, basically, you don't have to read the book even. And you can leave reviews and give a whole summary. So if someone just doesn't like you, uh, they're going to give a ton of reviews. And I just think the whole thing is so silly. And it, it can really affect and hurt a business. Uh, because if you get one of these crazy sorry to use as a, that's not a mental wellness term, but if you get one of these people who's make it their mission to like, you're like, look, you had a bad meal. They maybe gave you a refund. Chill out, dude. Yeah. Our goal. I mean, we, we, we cook to make people happy. So like we want to, you know, you don't open up a restaurant like Odium, you know, because you don't like people, you know what I mean? It's like you, you were, we want people to come into the restaurant. I want people to have the best time. I want, I want to make people happy. I want people to, to eat something for the first time and, and be like, wow, this is so good and open up their minds. And maybe they're going to go to another restaurant and try something else and, and, you know, broaden their horizons when it comes to food. And I think to me, that's, that's a successful business. Um, and I think, you know, when people are, are going out there and they're taking stabs at restaurants and, 
you know, you're right. It's, you know, they're, they're basically picking apart somebody's blood, sweat and tears. And, you know, maybe the restaurant just isn't for you. There's been a lot of restaurants, very famous restaurants that I've gone to that are like, this is probably isn't for me. You know, do I think that it's a bad restaurant? No, not at all. It's just not necessarily my style. You know, it wasn't a bad meal. So tell me about uh, cooking at home with the Traeger grills. Traeger grills. Yeah. They're, um, they're awesome. You know, company I grew up, you know, with my dad cooking on Traeger and, um, we're, you know, we're again from Texas and, you know, a lot of, a lot of barbecue and, and smoking meats is what we did, uh, growing up, especially on the weekends. So, you know, I think, um, getting into Traegers, they're, they're just like so versatile, you know, they're, they're, they're versatile. They're easy to use. I mean, this morning I was up at six, started the Traeger, I have beef ribs that I marinated overnight, put them in there. I cracked the, I've, I've opened it once since then, you know, I got a thermometer in there, probably need about three more hours and then I'm going to wrap them and then keep them going. And, you know, it's, I just got to make sure that that pellet, you know, grill is, 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 uh, it has pellets. It has the fuel it needs It's plugged in. And then, you know, I have my phone. I can, I can adjust the temperature right here, right now, if I wanted to. How big is the grill? Is the grill like, so this is like to grill meats and fish and veggies and. Yeah. So they have different, different ones and different sizes. So the one, you know, the one that the tri-tip was made on yesterday um, was on a Traeger 1300. And I actually used my Ranger as well, just because I was a little short on time. So the Ranger is more of a tailgate thing. So I had two of them going. I have one that's, you know, this big and then one that probably can fit six, six chicken, three racks of ribs and some veggies. So yeah. a decent sized one. Uh, the one, you know, the one I had just on smoke, kind of low and slow. The other one I had hot and put some smoke on that, that tri-tip and then, and then marked it on the, on the big guy. Are, they, are these the type of grills where you have like wood chips and stuff? Wood pellets. Wood pellets. Yeah. So it's got a wood pellet. You plug it in and the, you plug it in so you can, you know, you can manage your digital um, settings. Um, you can also do that on your phone once you sort of ignite it. So that ign- the ignition process is going to feed an arger to, to, to feed the pellets into this little sort of uh, little hole. And that thing, you know, it ignites, it's throwing a little flame, basically lighting those pellets. And then those pellets are going to be what, what fuels your fire. If you smoke, you know, if you're smoking at 165 degrees, the pellets that you have in there, you use a lot less. You have probably like 20 hours worth of smoking if you fill up your, your complete box. And then if you, if you, uh, if you have it at like 500 degrees, then you're going to burn through the pellets a lot faster. You probably have like six hours. Yeah. I always had this fantasy, like I have a house, you know, with the pool and everything. And I always pictured that I would have like friends over and I would be at the grill and, Oh, you know, honestly, it wasn't me at the grill, like a friend who knew how to cook or something. But <laughs> um, but everyone's been encouraging me to get a grill. So I'm definitely going to check out the Traeger grills because those sound like they're pretty easy to use. And, you know, the the steak last night was just incredible that you cooked. And that was right up my alley and perfect. I shared two slices with Tony who went and picked it up um, because he was salivating and complaining to me coincidentally on the way over that his favorite restaurant had a he couldn't get in there because there was a line 
at this restaurant. So he was really hungry. So I was like, all right, it's fine. I get it. You want some of this? (laughs) Try to. But uh, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. Um, You know, everyone can check you out on your, your Instagram is Chef Tim Hollingsworth, right? That's correct. And if anyone wants to connect with you, is that the best way or Facebook or website? Instagram is, is by far the best. Instagram is by far the best. So everyone follow Tim Hollingsworth and um, really appreciate you coming on Always Evolving. Once your restaurant does reopen, you will be contacted by me as I'll want to come in with some friends and enjoy the food there. So for um, sure. We can't wait to have you in. Well, thanks, buddy. Thanks for having me. And everyone, um, reminder, Tuesday, I have my free empowerment group, 5 p.m. Pacific time. Every week, I have a different amazing speaker. Sometimes I run it. Uh, Also, we have our private Facebook group for Coach Mike Bear. Hopefully, you guys join. Stay safe. Stay hungry. Well, or full or fulfilled if you can get the type of food that Tim cooks. And we'll talk really soon. Thanks, everyone. Stay safe. Subscribe, download, and we'll be having more podcasts out every week with incredible people. So I'll talk to you guys soon.